Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Ganinen and I am your host. Before we get started, if you've enjoyed listening to Beyond the Wrench, we would truly appreciate it if you would follow, rate, and review this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We say it a lot, but your ratings and support truly help us get in front of others in the industry so we can all work together to promote and improve technician careers. For today's episode, I've got somebody that I think is going to help us a lot with that. I have Scott Norman with me, who is a professor and automotive coordinator at Pittsburgh State University. Scott, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic, Jay. Great to have you here, have me on your program. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. And we've had some fun conversations in the past, and I, I really like what you do at your program. And I think you've got a lot of really good insight and, and really the ability to hopefully coach some of these schools on how to follow suit with you, right, and, and build these programs. So we'll talk a lot about that, but let's start off with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up in St. Louis, Jay, and uh, I grew up in a family that was not automotive orientated, and I lived out in St. Charles, you know, so that's kind of like the hillbillies of the St. Louis area <laughs> where it was farming, and and if you didn't have a car, you didn't go anywhere, and so uh, so I, I, I got involved in automotive at a young age just to be able to get around places, and and and, and so I was lucky enough to where it was, it was a hobby. But I was actually pretty good at it, and I ended up going to a, a two-year community college program, Forest Park Community College in, in St. Louis. And when I was there, one of the instructors was a new instructor who graduated from this this small town in Pittsburgh, Kansas, that had a four-year automotive degree. And he kind of talked about that. And and uh, me and a few friends uh, drove to Pittsburgh, Kansas from St. Louis. And I remember driving here, and again, Pittsburgh is, is in uh, southeast Kansas. And we were driving through farm uh, land and fields and corn crops. And I'm like, man, what am I getting myself into? But we came here. We fell in love with the program. And so me and a few friends that came here for a, an additional two years. So we got a four-year degree from uh, automotive in, in automotive technology. And again, that was uh, back in the 80s. So, you know, we were studying carburetors and distributors and this new thing called ignition modules <laughs> and stuff like that. And after graduation, GM hired me. And so I went up to Detroit and then I worked for a Chevrolet Motor Division and did customer assistance for two years. That was like the entry level job. And then I got promoted to technical assistant. So if any of your Chevrolet dealers ever called TAN and talked to the fuel and drivability expert to help them fix their cars, then they, they talked to me probably in the, in the early 90s. In 2000, sorry, think about this. In, in 1993, Chrysler Corporation stole me away from GM. I wanted to be an instructor, but in that time, you cannot go from Chevrolet Motor Division to STG, what GM has as their instructor program. So, so I went to be a, a, a training instructor with Chrysler Corporation. I was out in Salt Lake City for a few years, then got transferred to a Kansas City, and I loved that job. It was a fantastic job. I, I loved working with industry, working with the technicians, training them on the latest and greatest, you know, Chrysler product. You know, very exciting product to be involved in. But then 2007, 2008, 2009 came around with the automotive meltdown. I call that. But, you know, GM and Chrysler went out of business and, and Chrysler pretty much liquidated their training program. And, and lucky for me, I had a place to go. I got lucky. And my former professor, the one who taught me here at PSU was, was actually retiring, who recruited me to come replace him. So I got lucky and I started PSU in, in 2007 as a, a new instructor. And so I've been teaching at Pittsburgh State University Automotive Technology for about 15 years, worked my way up to now. I'm a, a, a full professor, and I'm also the coordinator of our four-year automotive technology program. So I've been teaching automotive technology for uh, for about 30 years, industry and on the education side. During the summer, this last summer, I did go back and work for Chrysler for the summer to teach automotive classes to Chrysler technicians at my old training center. In Kansas City, it was my old classroom. It was like coming home. Wow. It was kind of fun to have a small sabbatical during the summer of, you know, just just for me, just keeping updated in the industry. So you've seen some changes, I, I would assume, over those 30 years. And, and 
the industry, in the way we teach, what sticks out to you as something that has changed the most? I mean, there's probably all kinds of things, but I just uh, curious in your years of experience, what have you seen in the, as the, tra- the industry has really transitioned? Well, I, I tell my students in the automotive industry, you know, they're, I'm teaching, you know, they're right now, you know, the freshmen, the, the, the seniors, you know, they're very young, you know, some are 18, you know, early 20s. And I say, you know, you really have to like change in the automotive industry because it changes all the time. And that, that, that when you leave high school, when you leave your, your auto tech program, you're not going to be done learning. You're going to be going to classes and learning forever. Everything is changing. You know, if I, if I have never updated my skills, I'd be still working on carburetors and distributors and ignition modules, which all those are gone right now, right? And so, so, so what, so the biggest change for us is change is that the technology is change. And so that's probably one of the hardest things for schools and in the automotive technology program is keeping updated on all that change. And, and, and of course, every manufacturer is changing a little bit different. So things that are going on with GM, it's not the things that are going on with folk, with Toyota or maybe Honda. And so it's just keeping up with the change, keeping up with the scan tools, keeping up with the technology is always a challenge. Do you see any parallels to, say, 85 when, you know, it, 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 I think – Going away from a carburetor, going to maybe some fuel injection to now where it, it's you see the transition into more electrification and the advanced technology that we see, even though I think it's far more advanced than what we had back in the 80s. Do you see parallels between kind of the two transitions? Oh yes, it's 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 it's, it's a big parallel. So and again and, and and then I tell my students, you know, you know they're starting out in industry where where. It's going to be a huge monster change. We're changing now more than we've ever changed before as far as the actual technology in the automobile. When you start looking at hybrids and you start looking at electrification of vehicles, you know, fully electric vehicles, you know, hydrogen vehicles, going to fully autonomous vehicles, flying cars someday, you know. So, yeah, so it is it, – so – and, and it helps me think about how much knowledge our automotive technicians have to know – is astronomical compared to what it used to be because you know it used to be mechanics and well maybe mechanics and hydraulics and now you got mechanics and you got hydraulics and you got electronics and now you got all these computer systems you got all these different systems on the car and the systems aren't the same from one manufacturer to another so again the amount of knowledge that our automotive technician has to have and the amount of schooling they have to have to keep up with that it's just astronomical how much pressure does that put on the school to adapt and change? Because you only have so many hours to be able to educate somebody. Uh, how how much pressure does that put on you as an educator? Well, for me, I feel that I have a huge advantage because I have a four-year automotive program, which is very rare. There's only just a handful of four-year automotive programs in the nation. And so, so I feel sorry for the students or the schools, not maybe sorry, but it's a challenge for them to tr- be able to try to fit everything that they want to fit in an automotive program. You still have to teach the basics. So I still have to teach basic electrical and I have to teach alignments. You know, I have to teach things that hasn't changed in 30 years. You know, that's all the same, but then I got teach so much more. And so, you know, maybe, you know, you want to teach a diesel engine class because we have a lot of more diesels. You want to teach a hybrid class because, you know, we have a lot more hybrids and now you get into electrification or maybe you want to teach ADOS systems for advanced driver assist systems. And, and so, so, so for me, adding those type of classes isn't a problem because I have four years to fit it in versus a, versus a two-year program. They have a very limited amount of time. Talk to me a little bit about that four-year program because I think traditionally in the U.S., it's a, a, a pretty traditional two-year route, right? And you've got kind of a different – maybe a different way of going about it. What is it – or what are the differences in the programs? I, I think it, there's a lot of folks that might not be familiar with a four-year automotive program. Okay. Yep. So so we're still going to teach the same basic courses that any four-year associate's degree program has across the United States. So you're still going to take your engine class. You're still going to take your steering and suspension class or your air conditioning class or your engine performance class. But sprinkled in those, you're going to be taking a lot more general ed classes. And so those general ed classes are, are very similar to any other degree. So if you're going to be a nurse or a social worker or a doctor or an engineer. You still got to take some English classes and some math math classes and maybe some philosophy classes and some science classes. 
But then we also have a lot more automotive classes. So I call those a higher level automotive classes that the students could, could take. So some examples is that I teach a, a fuels, lubricant, and alternate fuels, automotive fluid type class. So we get involved in hydrogen fuels and natural gas and, and biodiesel and ethanol. We teach a failure analysis class. We teach a, a fluid power class, an advanced hydraulics class, an advanced engine performance class, again, a hybrid electric vehicle class. You get into some diesel classes, more than one diesel classes. We actually have seven different diesel classes. We have three different body mechanical painting type classes. So so again, so you're able to to, to put in some other options that you're not going to be able to get in just a, a regular two-year program. And the biggest difference is that you walk away with a bachelor's degree. So 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 all of our students are going to start out as an automotive technician. So two-year program, four-year program, it doesn't matter, myself included, all of our instructors we're, we all started out as technicians, and and then and then with the two-year program, that's where your main career is going to be. With my students, that's fine; they will do that also. But some of them may 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 uh, aspire to, to to do something different, to maybe go work for General Motors, to go work for Ford, go go work for Chrysler or, or go to Honda. And in order to do that, you need a four-year degree. Now, you can get that four-year degree in, in accounting or business administration, or mathematics, or something like that. But I don't know. I, I feel like if you're going to go work in the automotive industry, you should probably have an automotive degree, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's really cool because you're helping them get that technical background that they wouldn't with just a normal, you know, maybe marketing degree or business degree, where you're preparing them so that if they do go work for an OE, they'll have the technical background as well as, you know, that maybe more advanced business knowledge. So I think there's a lot of value in that. Do they do any type of, of in-shop work? Are they, is your typical student working in a shop as they're going to college or is it are you holding it until after? Oh, no, they're, they're working right now. So we encourage all of our students to, to go get a job during the summer as, you know, in a shop to break into the automotive industry. So if they're not working right now part-time, they're going to work in the summer. So, so as a freshman, they should be taking electrical. They should be taking breaks. They should be taking the student suspension, you know, to be able to give them that basic knowledge. So during that summer, they're going to get a job at a dealership. They're going to get a job at an independent shop. As that entry-level technician, maybe they're changing oil, maybe they're doing car washing, maybe they're sweeping the floor, who knows, you know, but at least they're able to break in. During their second and their third summer, they should hopefully be at a, at a higher level in the shop. The students who maybe want to go corporate, we'll call that, maybe they'll get a summer internship working for John Deere, maybe for Caterpillar, maybe for, again, Chrysler, as, as a corporate employee, because sometimes they think they want to do that. But once they do that, they realize, you know, I do not want to sit in front of a computer all day long doing spreadsheets. I want to be in the shop. I want to be working with the people. I want to be working with the product. They want to maybe do something much more technical. And so that's kind of nice that they're able to, to actually do that and figure that out while they're still in school. Have you heard of Runchway School Connect? Runchway School Connect is a free tool that makes it easier for schools to connect with local shops and dealerships and get the resources they need to attract students to technician programs and educate them about the industry. Schools can post a request for donations and resources from shops, and shops can post resources they have available to schools in their area. Shops and schools can visit Runchway.com to contact us and learn more. Link is in the show notes. So obviously having these different paths or these different career paths, it takes maybe having relationships with an OE or possibly a dealer group, potentially maybe even independent shops. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your relationships with industry in general? Okay, I, I definitely can because that's extremely important for any automotive program. Automotive programs are expensive. We need a lot of stuff. We need cars. We need equipment. And so most state funding will not be able to supply any school to buy four or five cars every year, right? And so, 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 so we're lucky because, because we've been doing automotive technology classes for over a hundred years. So, 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 you know, the guys that I graduated with over 30 years ago, they're either running shops, they're owning their own shops, they're running their own dealerships. They are middle management of major corporations. And so, 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 so we are very involved with our alumni of, of, of keeping track of, you know, people that I graduated with, all my students, 
because they're your main support group is that is that I'm able to utilize my uh, my alumni group and my and my contacts to help with what we need on a day-to-day basis of operating our program. How, how much of it is on you to maintain those relationships? Because obviously they're very important and you've got a million things going on at school trying to get all of these these uh, students educated. How much of it is on you to, to really maintain those relationships and keep them going? Well, unfortunately, it's, it is on us. It's on every instructor. It's, it's their responsibility to do that. So you're right. It's now a million and one things you got to do. So, so not only do you have to do your normal job, but you have to do a lot of industry relations. And so, so yeah. So, and, and so what I feel fortunate about is that we have, let's say, seven other faculty with me that it's not just me. It's, it, 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 it's me and my other faculty that are there doing that same thing is that because I'm not going to connect with every student, but some other faculty may connect with the student that I'm not connected with. And again, keeping track of those students and keeping relationships with them. So, so when we do need help, we have somebody to call. Is it hard to, to do that with and not just rely on your advisory committee meetings? Because I think a lot of time those advisory committee meetings do a really good job at kind of bringing everybody into the room and, you know, being able to have good conversations and network. But a lot of times I think those relationships can fall off over the course of the year until you get to the actual meeting itself. Can you talk to me a little bit about maybe how you stay engaged with industry in between those meetings? Okay. Well, I think now in, in you know, 2022, you know, that this is the easiest time in our lives to ever do that, you know. So you have Facebook, you have, you have LinkedIn, you have all these different media forms that, that you can connect with. To your alumni and your, you know, your students, so you can stay connected. So, so, so every day I am reading LinkedIn, and I, and and I love seeing posts from my former students as far as what they're doing with their lives. You know, their job promotions. You know, their 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 pictures of their families and and stuff like that. So, 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 so that's how we stay stay connected throughout. You know, the whole entire year is 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 by social media. Do you, I'm, I'm assuming there's some shops that are better than others at reaching out to you, right? Or better at being engaged and trying to bring value to you, whether it's, you know, a donation or, you know, speaking to a class or, or whatever. What do you see out of the best shops? What do you see about that, that, that relationship, you know, in general? I'm, I'm curious how that looks. Yeah, probably, probably the best relationships we have are, are students that have gone out, you know, they're now running that shop, you know, and they're, and they feel, they see value in the program. They see value in what we're doing. And, and so they, they feel like they have some skin in the game. And so they want to make that connection. They want to come here and recruit. And so probably the best shops that we have are the ones that we have prior students in. How many students are coming from outside of the general region? Like I'd assume because it's different, it's a four-year school, a couple things stick out to me. One being that not every person that's going to be an automotive technician is going to want to go to school for four years. Mm-hmm. But then yep. two, like it, you do have those people out there that want that bachelor's degree and, and do want to go, but also just want to work on cars, right? So how many, of, how many students, and I know this is a vague question, but how many students come from outside of the region? It is an awful lot. I'm telling you, really? we have students coming from California, Texas, you know, East Coast, China, India. So, so, so it's not just the country. It's all over the world. We're seeing students come to our program. Incredible. We are one of the top ranked programs in the United States. So, so that's nice. But, 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 but really it's our faculty and is, is, as far as how inspired and, and, and how much value we have on that. It's our, it's our industry. It's our alumni who help support us, really makes it a very valuable resource. Well, let's talk about that, the alumni network and how it can help support the school. Obviously, they're helping you with, you know, if, if you've got alumni that are going out and working in industry and then they're very supportive of what you're doing, that has to help you in, in trying to grow the program. Yep, it sure does. And in fact, that's probably the number one thing that I, that I would recommend to any school is that you, you have to stay connected to your students. You don't just graduate them and let them go. You want to stay connected, get them signed up on your social media, make a, make a, make a LinkedIn page, make them put a LinkedIn account. That's going to help them try to get a job in the future anyway. Get them connected right away. Keep track of where they're going in, in school and stay engaged. Then, 
then you start having events at your school where you invite them back. So we do like a back to school car show every August where we barbecue, all the students come out and they, and, and they show us their, their brand new cars. You know, we have all these freshmen coming in. And so they want to show off their, their cars. They want to see my cars. They want to see everyone else's cars. So we have this big car show, but we also invite our, 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 our alumni back as an event and so of course people from texas aren't coming up for that but but anyone who who is a local will definitely do that and what better way to showcase your alumni and the success of your program than the people that have gone through it right to to have that visual of somebody that's out there running a shop that's got you know sat in the same seat that these students are sitting in and and really being able to paint a picture for that young person that hey you know this person went through the program and is pretty darn successful. You know, I, I think from a motivational standpoint for that young person, that, that's got to that's got to do a lot of good. Oh my gosh, it's great. Yeah. So so if you have you know former students or if you have current students talking to new students or or maybe prospective students, we do tours every single day. We're doing tours from high school juniors and seniors that are coming out and looking at our program. And so anytime I have alumni or anytime I have a, a, a current student around, I want them to talk to the parents, talk to that, 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 that high school students, because it's hard to, for someone to understand what's available in the automotive industry. We talk about how the transportation industry, you know, that's a, you know, one of the top 10 industries in the United States. And, you know, it is so, so important for transportation. And, and, and so in, no one really understands. I know I didn't when I was a high school student, how many jobs are out there besides a technician, you know, besides an engineer, besides a production worker. Well, that's three out of maybe 33,000, you know, jobs that are possibly out there. I, I talked, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but that was very much me too, right? I grew up in a small town in my dad's independent shop. I didn't think there was anything past Dan's Auto Center, right? I, I didn't really know that there were the abundance of jobs that there are and really even care to look at the OE side and how, you know, how many opportunities are there. And I, I think when you look at the alumni and that's maybe one big piece that they could offer is, advice to these young people on, you know, as they go through their career path, what are some, what are some of those opportunities? But even over and above that, maybe what they would have done differently had they come out, you know, if they were able to give them young, their younger self some advice. I think there's so much value in that and in, in being able to help, you know, mentor and guide these young people as they come in into the industry. Yep, that's for sure. One thing that we do also is that, you know, we'll go to Kansas City uh, to recruit at high schools, which is about a two-hour drive from us, but 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 we'll grab alumni that is in the Kansas City area and have them meet us at the high school and let them speak. You know, somebody that is running a shop, somebody that's working as a technician, maybe they're a shop foreman now, maybe they're a brand new technician that just started that year, and, and so we'll bring them up and talk, because maybe that's their former high school. And so uh, we're able to bring them up there and, again, hear words from the industry besides just us as far as how valuable our positions are. I feel like that's such an underutilized part of, of something that's available to schools is industry wanting to help out. And I know there's so many schools out there that are short-staffed or don't have the the capacity to be able to go out and, and be able to recruit properly and a lot of schools I know they have recruiters, but oftentimes I hear from the instructors that the recruiters don't even remember that they have a an automotive or diesel program, right? And I think it, it puts a lot of pressure on an educator's shoulders to be able to fill the seats in that program. So uh, when I look at it, I and this is something that I had always thought when I was on the industry side was why aren't we out there helping support the school and help helping, you know, even if they can't make it two hours the other direction, right? You're going to Kansas City. What about two hours the other direction? Are there shops in that area that, you know, are going to their high school uh, career fairs and and being able to, to showcase what you're doing, right? I, I think I think that's a, a, a major lost opportunity when we're not utilizing industry to be able to help fill these seats. Yep, you're right. And, and so, and so some examples of some of the things that some of our industry is doing is that some of our better dealerships in the area, we have two, one in Kansas City, one in, one in Wichita, that they'll do a automotive career day where, where they, they will clean out their shop and they'll host 
high school automotive programs in their areas to come to the dealership. They'll have burgers and a, a party. They'll have us down. They'll have industry reps down from other dealerships, but they'll have a career fair at the dealerships with uh, dealership personnel speaking about the jobs that are available, uh, the salaries, you know, technicians talking about what they do. And so it's a great idea is to have the career fair at the dealership so they can so showcase that. And so, and, and so, and so that's our, our, our industry and our uh, alumni doing that separate from what we do as far as recruiting and spreading the word that, you know, automotive Automotive technology is a career. Yeah, I that is interesting. If you're enjoying Beyond the Wrench, remember to follow and rate our podcast to help support the show. Right now, we'd like to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, Sonic Tools. Sonic Tools' direct distribution model offers affordable prices without sacrificing quality and service. Their goal is to increase the efficiency of every technician with equipment solutions and sonic phone system that organizes quality tools in ways that award every technician with the opportunity to excel. Visit sonictoolsusa.com to learn more. Now, do you have any other examples or stories of shops helping you out in the program? And I, I know that's, uh, again, kind of a vague question, but I, I'm, I'm so curious to figure out ways that we can help educate industry on how to, how to support schools, right? How to, mm-hmm. how to be a presence and, and make sure that you're growing that program. I think they're, you know, for a long time, you've been in this, in the education side for 30 years. Uh, for a long time, I don't feel like we had much for industry support other than that call at graduation time asking for students. What are some ways that you're seeing industry kind of step up and, and help the program out? Okay. Well, for 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 uh, one thing, our industry, you know, we need automotive programs need, you know, they need tools, they need books, they need parts and components and equipment and vehicles. And so again, they don't have money to buy all that. And so, so, you know, going around to your local partners, you know, in your, in your town, in your industry and talk about how, Hey, if there's that vehicle that is bought back, the vehicle that the owner has decided not to repair and, and they're just abandoning. They have old transmissions laying around that they're going to throw away. They have, you know, somebody shuts down and there's tools laying around. There's old equipment that they're not using anymore. All that can be donated to your automotive schools. And again, we have received tools and books and parts and vehicles and equipment and components all from local dealerships and independent shops and manufacturers because they just weren't using them anymore. And, and again, they knew that we needed them and we just happened to reach out to them at the right time and we're able to obtain that stuff. So, so we'll get, you know, thousands of dollars of donations every year. And some of this, if it's maybe a special tool, are they coming in and showing you how to use the special tool or, you know, the, the small pieces that you like, it just being able to get familiar with it. Are they helping you kind of understand it? Well, I don't necessarily need that help, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, the tools that we got was a dealership that was shutting down and they had all these tools and, and so they were, they gave us crate boxes of tools. And so some of them were like specialty tools for this particular engine that we never use, but, but some other stuff like maybe some R12 AC machines, I was able to use fine. You know, it was, they were so usable. The shop wasn't working on R12 stuff anymore. They were wanting to give me the, the machines and, and, and I was able to adapt them, and, and that actually they still work. So let's talk about advisory committee meetings. And I want to start there, and then we'll kind of go maybe a little bit more in depth with the advisory committee itself and how you engage them even further than what we've already talked about. One of my concerns when, when I sit in an advisory committee meeting is not checking the box, right? Or just not, not being there just to check the box, mm-hmm. but actually providing value. Do you have any advice to, let's start with the school side, any advice to schools that are listening about a, some some things you've learned or ways that you can run a really, really productive advisory committee meeting? One of the things that I like the best about our advisory meetings is that they'll start off with an industry report. So every single person is, is going to talk about you know their job and maybe what they're doing at their shop. And what's going on? You know, how are car sales? How is part inventories? Can they get parts? Uh, are they selling cars? You know, how many cars are on the lot? You know, so what's really nice for us is that, is that they get a nice 
big, I get a nice big glimpse. Twice a year, we'll have an advisory board meeting. In the fall, we'll have one in the spring where we'll, 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 they'll give us industry updates. And so that's really nice for us as far as being able to hear to hear those. That is a challenge to keep advisory board members. Again, we, we, we typically have alumni doing that just because they feel like there's a value for, for the program. And so they want to see it continue. So typically those folks are the ones that are, are the most committed. But again, it rotates. We'll get advisory board members that have been on there for 10 years. They get promoted and then somebody else comes in and we have to retrain them all over again. So so, so it is a challenge to keep them committed, to keep them engaged. One of the things that we'll do for, with our advisory committees is that we'll have our advisory committee one day and then we'll have a big career fair the day afterwards. So that really is helpful for us. We'll, in fact, the one that we had just just this last fall, we had, I think, over 50 companies come down to try to recruit students for either summer internships or full-time positions. So we're talking about big manufacturers. So, you know, Tesla and GM and, and Chrysler and Ford and Toyota are all there. Dealership net, dealership programs, networks, small mom and pop shops, you know, they're all coming, you know, to hire everything from technicians to technical trainers to district managers, and, you know, to the, the guys working in parts. You ever see my uh, my buddy Marcus Hicks from Ford down there? Yes, I do. Yes, <laughs> I do see Marcus. <laughs> well, well, shout out for Marcus. We we love Marcus. He's a he's a great guy, and I, I think it's it's fun to see those people engage with your school just because you know they've got great personalities, and it feels like they're welcoming to talk to. I, I, I that's one thing that I I tell a lot of shops is. Uh, Sometimes we're really intimidating, right? Uh, and being able to talk to that student and get them comfortable with who you are in a way that's not super awkward can can be really, really impactful for your shop. Yep, it sure is. And so that's challenging for my students because here I have freshmen that, you know, just was a high school student, you know, six months ago. And, and here they have to find some clothes and and they have to do a resume and they have to be able to go up to somebody and at least have a conversation and so, so, so that's one of the things that as, as a four-year program that we're really concentrating on not only the technical side, but the professional side, you know, they need to be able to communicate. They need to be able to sell themselves. I tell my students that they need to be able to put on a suit and tie, go to a, an actual dealer owner and, you know, talk to them about ideas and, Hey, I want to buy your dealership or I want to sell you something. Or they need to be able to put on the, co- the actual coveralls and go out to the shop and help a technician work on something. I, there's so much value in teaching that we had actually put out a piece of content on TikTok. Our marketing team did talking about how you should dress for an interview. And so they had, you know, just nice slacks, button up shirt. And, you know, there was a, a few different examples of what to do. And they got destroyed in the comments of it, of, of the video. <laughs> right. And it was because all like, there was a whole line of text saying, well, I don't need to do that. I can just walk in and get a job anywhere. And what was frustrating to me was that they missed the point of why that video was important. It's not just that you can get the job. It's that all of this talk that we have as an industry amongst technicians where they want more respect, they want to be paid better, they want all of this stuff, but you're not willing to do something as simple as just dress appropriately or professionally mm-hmm. to go in for an interview. I, I, I think to me that is a very, very frustrating thing. Yep, it sure is. And, and, and especially in our, you know, in 2022, where it's like dressed down, you know, it's very rare for, for, for like a corporate guy to come down here anymore in a suit and tie. You know, back in the early nineties, I was teaching classes, tearing apart automatic transmissions in a suit and tie. And so, of course, we don't do that anymore in the industry, you know, and so, so it's hard to convey to students that they should be dressing up. Yeah. And even though you can get the job and and everybody needs technicians right now, it's about being a professional. It's about, you know, mm-hmm. caring about your 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 trade and, and your craft. And, you know, when you represent yourself in a professional manner, it's going to set the tone for how you're seen in that that shop, you know, maybe for the, the, the entirety of your career. So I, I just think, you know, that first impression makes such a it is a big deal, and being able to to represent yourself with some professionalism is huge. Another aspect of that is writing, right? Mm-hmm. We see it all over the place where technicians maybe aren't the strongest at written communication, 
and being able to to write something legibly and granted a lot of it's gone electronic now so it's typing but even typing right like some of the some of the work orders I used to read that were typed up made me cringe. How, do you see that improving as the students are coming through in terms of how they're writing? Yeah, they are. In fact, we do have a pretty intensive writing program. The students take five different writing classes <laughs> throughout their four-year program here. But as an example, my, my climate control class, right now my students are diagnosing air conditioning problems. Cars, are, cars I have bugged that don't, you know, they're not blowing code error or something. So, so then, so then they have to do a lab on that. But after the lab, they have to write up a lab report. So they have to give me the calls. They have to give me their technical data. They have to give me what has been done to fix the problem and maybe a couple of photographs of some gauge readings. But all that stuff would be something that they would have to write up on a repair order. So, so I'm making them do that after every lab. To help improve the writing, and, and 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 I do find that you know after the you know the first one is kind of rough, and the second one gets a little bit better. But after they do five, six, ten of them, they start getting really good at it. And for those students that they're out uh, out there listening to this, don't take that for granted. I think when I was in the students' chair, I I didn't take it seriously enough, right? And as you get out into industry and you start seeing more technicians and the best of the best are really good at writing, you know, writing their stories. And I think, you know, going back, we just talked about giving advice to your younger self. That would be one piece of advice I would give myself is to uh, to maybe take that a little bit more seriously. Yep. It's taken me 30 years to get my writing good. So <laughs> it's a it's a forever process. You keep doing it and it keeps getting better. I, I agree. Going back to the advisory committee and the meeting itself, how do you make them not the same meeting every single time? And the reason I say that is there's been a lot of times where I go into one, they'll ask, you know, what you want out of the students. A lot of times it, it you know, it, it's kind of the same thing from industry said over and over again. We need better electrical skills. We need mm-hmm. we need them to show up on time and stay off their phone. You know, <laughs> it, like it, it kind of it, it's it feels like the same thing, almost like Groundhog Day at times, where it's the the same meeting over and over again. How do you how do you make it so it's not so redundant? Yeah, we do try to have different topics throughout the the year. So maybe in the spring topic is, is different than the fall topic. It. It is really dependent upon what we have going on that year. So, so I know this last advisory board meeting, we were talking a lot about electrification. It was kind of funny because the advisory board members started to have their own argument between themselves about electric vehicles versus not electric vehicles. But basically, they were pushing us to, to do more classes with, with electric vehicles. So, so then the challenges for any automotive program is that is that we need more electric vehicles well how do you get electric vehicles you know and so that that's a hard thing to try to donate but one of the things that we were able to do through our advisory board meeting is that is that we had some folks from farmers insurance and some some of the other insurance companies and so they were like wait a minute we have crashed vehicles that we can't do anything with and so 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 we were able to get a few hybrid vehicles that were they were in a collision not very bad they still ran and so since we have an actual collision program we got these vehicles they were wrecked we fixed them in the collision program and now we're using them in our hybrid class i i that is amazing to hear i think that is you know hopefully the insurance companies continue to step up because there's a lot of value in getting those crash vehicles they still have the technology you need to look at they still have a lot of the components, if not all the components that you need to, to be able to properly put on a class. Yep. And then and then really for 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 our vehicles and our classes, we're not driving them. So, you know, even if it doesn't drive right, that's fine. As long as it starts and runs, that's perfect for us, you know. And in fact, even if it has a few faults in it, that's even sometimes good for us too, because then we're able to maybe diagnose those and work on those with the students. So advice to industry on how you should approach an advisory committee meeting. Is there anything that you should do to prepare up front coming into those meetings? I I know a lot of times I was terribly guilty of this where I would show up in a rush because I just got out of another meeting and going into that, that advisory committee meeting, you're kind of, you know, you've got a million things going on. You show up, read the minutes from the last meeting to kind of refresh yourself and then get into general conversation 
but as I look at it, I, and especially when I was running shops, I did not put enough thought into what we specifically needed, right? And that's why I think a lot of times our responses are the same every time is because we don't maybe do enough prep work in trying to really understand. We think we know. I think a lot of times that's why we come in and say, yeah, we could use more of this type of skill. But it was hard for me to go to my service managers and say, okay, what do you need? And at the time it was, you know, warm bodies. We knew we need people yeah. in general, but diving in and, and maybe getting better asking questions of those service managers to, to really understand what it is that you need. Do you see any value in, in maybe an advisory committee member doing a little prep work before they come in? Yeah, they should. Yeah, they should. You know, they, so, so what would be nice would be to have, you know, maybe an agenda ahead of time where, Hey, these are the talking points we want to talk about. This is the information we're wanting from our advisory board. Please prepare ahead of time. So, so, so one of the something you could talk about is like, how does each shop go about keeping employees? You know, so, so when you think about our industry, as far as needing people, you know, you're either going to steal them from somebody else or you're going to hire somebody brand spanking new. And so the key is, is that, is that some shops are really good at maintaining their employees and keeping them long term. Some of them are not. And so, so, so the, so advisory board meetings are not just information from industry to the school or school from the industry. It's also from industry to industry. They can share information that is valuable to them themselves by, you know, borrowing, stealing, you know, getting information from other shops as far as what's working for them. So they're able to be successful. One of the big things that we've been doing around here a lot with shops is talking about growing your own technicians. That 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 you know, trying to steal a technician from another shop. Well, that technician's just going around and around in circles, and so that's not really very good. Putting out an ad in the paper, you know, and getting twenty five people applying, and and then and none of them stay. They only stay for a few weeks and realize that you know they think they're. They think they want automotive technology as a career, but they realize they don't. You know, that doesn't work out really good. With automotive students, you know, they're, you know, if they start in school, you know, they're in it for one year, two years, whatever, that, you know, they're committed, that they have committed that, you know, you know, a pretty good part of their life to the industry. So, you know, so they're definitely more likely to, to stay long term. And then we talk about growing your own technician that, that, that we're seeing a lot of industry folks, you know, starting to sponsor students that are committed, that they're saying, hey, we're going to pay for your schooling, we're going to pay for your tools if you stay with us for X amount of years, and, and then we're going to support you because because they know that students from Wichita, Kansas, they want to go back to Wichita, Kansas, they don't want to go to Detroit or Dallas or anything like that, so they want to stay in that area, and so they're going to grow that student so they can come back and be a good employee. Something that came up in, we just, as we record this, wrapped up Technician last, last week, our, our big conference. And we had a, a round table and, and had talked a, a little bit about this. And actually, this wasn't even Technician. This was a part of our school round table. And one of the interesting pieces that came out of that and was, was really having competitive shops in the same room at an advisory committee meeting and being afraid to share information because their competitor is sitting across the table, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see that at all where people kind of clam up a little bit because they don't want to share something that they deem as proprietary or is there special sauce as to why a technician comes to work for them? Well, okay, so we do have automotive, we have diesel heavy equipment, we have construction companies, we have agricultural companies, we have body shops and insurance companies, and, and, and some of those companies do not play nicely together. So like for my career fair, for an example, where we put 50 companies out in our shop and students are talking to each of these companies, we do sometimes have to separate companies so they're not real close together. Because they are very competitive and they they just don't like each other. So that is something that we have to deal with on occasion. And and I get it. Like you don't want to go into that meeting and you know if you've got something that's working and it's getting you more technicians and it might be getting you more technicians from that other shop, you don't necessarily want to uh, to, to help them, right? But I think 
maybe some areas that we could improve on as an industry going into those meetings, knowing that, hey, we've just got to get more people into this industry in general. It, it You know, if they go to work for you, fine. We just need to get more in because then maybe if that technician goes to work for that shop, they're not so hungry to go get a technician from you. And hopefully we can stop some of this vicious cycle. It, yep. it, it That to me has changed a lot. That used to be a no-no that you'd go take a, a, a technician from your competitor down the road and there was some unwritten rules. And I think eventually those unwritten rules just kind of went away. Yeah, yeah. With the need of technicians right now, probably the biggest thing that that industry could help us with is again is 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 is, is getting the word out. You know that technicians are needed. They're they're a highly skilled workforce. So when you start thinking about some of these dealer networks that have big money, you know that they're 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 advertising cars. You know, well, hey, let's also start advertising automotive technology as a career. So I'm thinking like the Dealer Association of Kansas, the Dealer Association of Missouri, that they can start sponsoring, you know, advertising, you know, start blanketing the networks about our career. See, I was out at the at the World Skills last week, and I was doing welding. So we had the international welding competition at Lincoln Electric and Lincoln and the and the and the American Welding Society does a very good job of promoting welding as a career. Automotive doesn't necessarily do that very well. And so I think that there's some room for our industry to to jump into that and helping start to promote that as a career. So so high school students look at that as a possible choice. So mom and dad say, "Oh yeah, that's a good idea." And I believe from what I recall, the diesel competition at World Skills was pulled this year, wasn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, the the, the Team USA, we'll call that. We had our, our big World Skills competition. It was supposed to be in Shanghai. China, Shanghai canceled it. So then they started to put competitions all over the world. So like the automotive competition is going on right now in Germany. The welding competition was last week in Cleveland. And unfortunately, we could not send a U.S. competitor for for diesel or for automotive just because we we canceled it. So we so we we went ahead and we canceled our our competitors, and then they came up with these last minute competitions, and it's kind of hard to get visas and flights and stuff at the last minute. Yeah, that's too bad. Hopefully, we get that back on track. And, yep, and, uh, yep. So our next competition will be in 2024, and, and it'll be in 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 France. Wow. Uh, will you go to that? I hope so. We'll see. How do you, do you think there's an opportunity to communicate better with industry from the school standpoint over the course of the year in non-advisory committee ways? And the reason I say that is that's something we've built out on the platform is we're trying to give visibility to schools so that you can kind of paint a picture of what you're doing. So you're not so unfamiliar when you come into that advisory committee meeting and, and are reviewing curriculum that you've got an idea of what's been taught over the course of the year. Do you see opportunities to be able to to maybe communicate what you're doing? And maybe not your program specifically, but education as a whole, communicate a little bit better with industry in that regard. Well, yeah. So some of the things that we'll do, too, is that we'll do other events besides, you know, here on campus. So so we've been doing a golf tournament for the last couple of years, which is which is great fun. So we'll invite our 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 our, our down our our alumni down, and it's amazing how much you learn. You know, just as a casual, you know, on the golf course, you know, I'm there flipping burgers for lunch, and everyone comes in and, and you know talks to me while they're eating, and so they're able to share information. I'm able to get information from them. They're able to get information from me. So these so these so these casual encounters. Number one, it's a fundraiser for us. But number two, it's another opportunity for for us to connect to our alumni, to our industry, just to see what's going on out there. I, I think that's a great idea. How long have you been doing the golf tournament? We've been doing that for two years. No, I'm sorry, we just did our third year one, and so and so we'll raise maybe five to ten thousand dollars on these on these golf tournaments every year. So so it's a nice resource that hey. $10,000, I could buy a used car. You know, I could buy maybe a used, well, I used to be able to buy a used vote. I don't know if I could buy, <laughs> buy that anymore for $10,000. No. Uh, yeah, it's, the market's gone kind of crazy yeah. there. But I do think that's a fun way to get your, your network engaged and in a way where you're not just talking shop. You can, you know, start to get to know somebody and learn about them and their family and, and, and do it in a way that's not, you know, let's sit down and talk about curriculum. You're actually getting to know them a little bit. 
Yep. Yeah. So, so the golf tournaments, the car shows, having you know, there's a clay shoot that our construction department does that's pretty successful. Dinner sometimes, you know, if, you, if as far as the automotive associations, they'll have a dinner or something like that. So you're involved in those, you know. So you're involved in your local automotive associations. They'll have a a steak fryer or something like that. So you go there and you, you know, have 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 a casual conversations. So unfortunately, it takes a lot of work. <laughs> it's what it does. All these things is extra responsibility for the faculty to do besides just your teaching job. So, you know, my teaching job, it tends to be a very small amount of what I do on a daily, daily basis. Most of what I'm doing for the, for, for, for the department is, you know, I'm doing it at home. I'm I'm on the internet. I'm, I'm I'm sending emails. You know, stuff like that. It feels like we might get to the point with tech schools where we're going to need to hire somebody in these departments to just do that, right? Like to to manage relationships, to be able to help with recruiting and getting students in. Do you see an opportunity for something like that down the road, or is it always going to fall on the on the shoulders of the educators because of maybe budgetary constraints? Well, unfortunately for education, budgetary restraints is a problem, and and so higher education is a problem, and and, and hiring teaching teachers is a problem, and the amount of taxes going to education is a problem, and and and, and you know what, you know, I'm involved in this organization called World Skills, and so I see automotive programs in in seventy different countries, and what shocks me the most is how much other countries are spending on on technical education compared to the United States. And, and it is shocking when you start seeing it. And so, you know, I, I feel that, you know, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years from now, you know, the United States is not going to be the top of education. Just when you start looking at the amount of effort everyone else is putting into it versus we're just doing status, status quo. We're just doing the same thing we've always been doing and we're not increasing. So in my mind, if I'm not moving forward and everyone else is moving forward, then maybe I'm moving backwards, you know? I think you're right. And with the amount of technology that instructors have to keep up with now and, and you know, you've got to properly understand how to use stuff and, and how to understand systems because you're teaching it to this next generation. And if you're spending a good portion of your time putting together events and being able to – and 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 trying to network and communicate with your, you know, even your alumni network, that could be a real challenge. And I think maybe we missed the mark a little bit there on, and again, this isn't your program, but just in general, maybe missing the mark a little bit on being able to get more people into this, into this business. Yeah, it, it, it's hard. I, you know, I always think about those automotive programs that have just one instructor. Yeah. And it's just impossible for him to do what he needs to do. You know, he's just surviving, <laughs> keeping his program running. So he can't go out and recruit and he can't try to figure out a, a golf tournament or a car show or, or a big career fair that's just automotive. And so, so, you know, so that's so hard for, for someone that has maybe one or two people. I, I know for our recruiting program, we, we typically will have one or two faculty member, one in particular that maybe get one reduction of, of classes. So they'll go out maybe once a week. Maybe they have Fridays off. Let's say. let's say they're not teaching on Friday. So Friday is their day to go out to local high schools. Maybe he'll go north one Friday. He'll go south one Friday just to spread the word about automotive technology. So so then when we go out recruiting, we're not just recruiting for PSU. We're, we're trying to sell automotive technology for the whole entire nation, you know, saying, hey, high school students, you need to think about a career in automotive technology, starting out as a technician to these local shops, you know, because obviously, you know, that's our biggest need right now. I, 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 that's refreshing to hear, right? You're, you're painting the picture for automotive technology as a whole, not specifically your school. And I think I give you a lot of credit for that because I don't think that happens everywhere. And that's, uh, that's, that's pretty neat that you do it that way. Well, you know, it's, you know, you would hate to have any automotive program close, you know, even if it's your competition, you know, there's so few of them and it's very rare for one to prop up, you know, it's, it's very rare for one to get started. So, you know, we need to keep all the ones that we have and, and be able to to support each other. Because again, even if all of our schools were graduating lots of students, we still have more jobs out there than what we could supply, Right. You know, yeah. from from just one single school by itself. So we need everyone out there doing doing their share to make it work. 
How important are those relationships with those high school instructors in terms of building a pipeline of, of kids to your class? Yeah, that's important. It really is. And so, so, so I feel fortunate again because, you know, our, our students who do have a four year degree, some of them will go and teach. And so they will be high school teachers. There will be college instructors. So I have students now that are working in high schools that are working in, 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 in maybe a, maybe a two year college, which is our pipeline to come and, you know, to finish up maybe their degree here. And so, yeah, so then those relationships are extremely important. Just, just like with industry, just like with parents, just like with, you know, your, your actual administration at the school. So, so, so they understand what automotive technology is and they value your program at your institution. I, I, during this entire conversation, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Scott, has done one heck of a job of engaging his alumni network to be a huge resource for for the program, right? And and when you look at that, you're populating technicians, you're populating or just general technicians, shop owners and managers, regardless independent or dealer side, the educators. There's a a, a pretty big shortage of of tech tech ed teachers right now. You know, we're seeing that. I've had more tech schools reach out to me looking for faculty than ever before. And, you know, I think that's a big concern, right? Because if we don't have the educators to be able to provide the training for these folks, we're we're really kind of shooting ourselves in the foot here. Yeah, I've seen automotive programs where they couldn't hire an instructor. So, so they actually shut down because of that. So, so yeah, so if there's not someone out there ready to stop up and, and, and actually take that place, then, then it, it's a big spiral downhill, you know, down to the, to the abyss. So, 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 for, so, so for those, so for those guys out, out, out in the field, you know, maybe you're, you know, you've been a technician for, for 20 years, you're like me and my, all of a sudden my back, you know, for me to, to try to hang up over, over a hood in a fender for a half an hour, it's just painful. So, so those guys who maybe want to try a different career, you know, so there are programs out there where maybe if you have your two year associate's degree, then you get two more years of, 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 of education. You're then now qualified to go into a high school setting, maybe a Voltec setting to be able to teach auto, automotive classes. So it's a great second career. You know, I actually went from industry education. <laughs> I don't think I could ever go back. You know, I, I like my freedom and, and, and I like my summers off and I like the shorter hours where I'm not working, you know, you know, 16 hours a day and stuff like that. Maybe I am working 16 hours a day, but half that time I'm working at home, you know? And so, so, so a shout out for anyone, in, anyone in, in the automotive industry. And, and if you're wanting to think about education, as a career, you know, after that experience, contact Scott Norman because I could help you out. <laughs> a- any advice for that technician that wants to go that route? Most, most, most schools, you need a bachelor's degree. And so we do offer a, a bachelor's degree as far as online if you already have an associate's degree. So it works out real good. Community colleges sometimes require a master's degree. Which we all, we, we actually offer a master's degree online also for automotive guys. And so, so, so we are building that pipe, pipeline or at least trying to help out that pipeline for the next level of educators. Have you seen any change in female enrollment? Is, are you seeing any increase there? I'm not sure if I have any increase in it, but it's consistent. So every year I have two or three female students. And if there are sharp female students, they are really sought after. It's it's amazing. They'll get like they'll they'll come to me and say, Scott, I got a problem. I got five job offers, and I don't know who to go to. I can't decide if I want to go to the Toyota down in Texas, if I want to go to Ford up in Detroit. This dealership network has a hundred stores, and they're talking about sending me to North Carolina for a management training program, and so so. We see that a lot where the, the sharp female students are very sought after. We need more of them, right? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah. Well, I, I think you and your program are ahead of the game in a lot of ways. I think, you know, based on what I've learned about you and your aspirations to to put out really good quality people over and above just a good technician, I think that is a, a hugely valuable thing and resource in, in our industry. So, Applaud you for everything that you're doing out there. Appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today and, and talk about some pretty important stuff. 
Well, Jay, it's a, it's not just a one-man show, that's for sure. You know, I'm just doing what my predecessors did. And, of course, I got a, a team of faculty that are just, just awesome. We all work together. We're all from industry. And so that's really helpful to have have a whole bunch of people that are all working for a common goal. And, 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 and so when that happens, it's a lot easier, that's for sure. Well, thanks for joining us. I hope to have you back on at some point in the future to kind of Talk about the progress of the program, and I'm sure we'll be hearing from you again in, in the future. Well, Jay, thanks for having me. That wraps up this week's episode of Beyond the Wrench. Be sure to tune in next week for another brand new episode. As a reminder, don't forget to rate and follow Beyond the Wrench on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps us get Beyond the Wrench in front of other fantastic shop owners, managers, technicians, and dealers just like you so we can continue to help improve, promote, and grow this amazing industry. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week.